0: Welcome to the Westside Gathering podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in.
1: All right, let me shift gears um, and ask you this question. I, I love this, when, when people say this, like, I'm going to say this, and you're going to like, well, we can say this in any way, but there's two categories of people, and of course, you can like fill in the blanks with what that might be. But I'm going to talk about two categories of people that I think exist in the world. You ready? Good drivers and bad drivers. Isn't that true? Is that right? Good drivers and bad drivers. Let's be more specific. Uh, Two categories of people, those who have a sense of direction and those who don't have a sense of direction. Now, the test is this. If you're going somewhere today, For the first time, or maybe you've been there even a couple of times. Don't open your phone. Don't turn on the GPS. Just kind of get there. See if you can make it. You want to try? That's going to be your test. For some of you, GPS is no help. It doesn't really matter, and that's a third category of people. And we have a support group after the gathering for you, uh, because it doesn't matter if the GPS is on. You still don't have a sense of direction, and that's okay. But this is this is really true in life, not just about driving. There is. this idea where we long to have a sense of direction, and some don't have that. And that's why we're talking about what we're talking about in this series, to be grounded from above. The idea of being grounded also is that little bit of, you know, that idea of having a sense of direction. And there's two things with grounded people, or there's two things about having a sense of direction. One is outer observance. People with a sense of direction, they pay attention to what's going on. They look ahead. They're like, is there, you know, is there a traffic light coming ahead? Is, you know, is the the street I'm looking for? What about the exit? Oh, I remember this, you know, this, uh, this, this. City landmark and things like that, they detect what's around them. But it's it's even deeper than that. It's like an inner orientation of they know where they're going. You know, like I know I'm going east, I know I'm going west, I know I'm gonna go north, I know I'm hitting Laval or whatever, you know? And there's an inner orientation, a sense of kind of true north. And so today that's what I want to talk about. Uh, But not in the normal way. I want to talk about this practice that we have as Christians that really does ground us and really gives us a sense of direction, and it's kind of counterintuitive, but I believe it shapes our outer observance and our inner orientation, and it's actually the practice of worship, and it's connected to the series we're in in and the passage of scriptures we're following this month. And here's, now, this is why it's counterintuitive, because we think of worship as just singing or, you know, um, reading scripture or praying. Uh, Worship is the attitude and activity that gives God worth. That's what worship is. Anything you give worth to, you're worshiping. Worship is giving worth to something. And we're all worshipers. You know, there's some of you that are maybe visiting today and you you say, well, I don't consider myself a Christian, so I'm not a worshiper. Or I don't consider myself religious, so I'm not a worshiper. We still worship. Human beings worship because we give worth to things or people or institutions or ideologies. Martin Luther in the 16th century, he said our hearts are idol factories. We just manufacture idols. We like to create things that then we can give worth to, And then they make us, we we think they make us happy. And so we look for these things to give worth to. So we're in this series called Grounded from Above in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And if you've been with us this year or tracking with us, you already understand that we're going to do these short mini-series in the book of Revelation. And in these two chapters, the one we kicked off last week, chapter 4 and 5 in the next couple of weeks, this vision that the Apostle John sees he sees a picture of heaven, God's space, God's realm. And what he sees there, among other things, and even though he's going to find out information about what's coming next in his life and historically, John's, John's vision is filled with worship. It's filled with worship. And this is, this is important for, under, for us to understand. Many people have struggled with Revelation and talking about Revelation and uh, one of the reasons is they've put Revelation only in the predictive category, like Revelation predicts the future. And we've already said, and I hope we're going to see as we keep looking into this book, that it's more pastoral and prophetic than predictive. There's, a, there's definitely a bit of prediction there, but it's more pastoral and, pr- and, and, uh, and prophetic. It's interesting because Martin Luther, who I quoted, he actually disregarded Revelation for its use of discipleship. He's like, there's no merit into this book for discipling people. I think he was wrong, but I understood his tension with it, because when we read the book, we're like, well, what am I supposed to get from this letter that has all these images? But one of the things that Christian history has affirmed is that Revelation is a book of worship, that Revelation is a a one big liturgy of worship. And in fact, we see some of the most expressive moments of worship in chapters 4 and 5. And we're not going to read all of those two chapters today. But I want to read a couple of verses. And they're the worship moments where the living creatures or the elders or or creation sings and worships God and Jesus. Here's the first one. And they're on the screen. You can follow along. Verse 8. Day and night without ceasing, they sing. This is the living creatures. Holy, holy, holy the Lord God Almighty, who was and is to come. Later down, verse 10, the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing, you are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. In chapter 5, verse 9, they sing a new song. Now this is to Jesus. You are worthy to take the scroll, to open up its seals, for you were slaughtered by your blood. And by your blood you ransomed for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them to be a kingdom of priests serving our God. And then again, just a myriad of people singing with a full voice. In verse 12, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. And then the last one, verse 13, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb. Be blessing and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. Talk about a worship gathering. It's like, isn't that, that's an immense amount of worship packed into two chapters in this initial vision that John sees, that that Jesus gives to John to see God's space, to see into heaven. This is so incredible. This vision, Jesus is showing John what worship is, In God's space is like. Remember, this book is more pastoral and prophetic than we realize. Now, this vision that John sees will shape shape how John understands worship. And then that worship will shape John. I want you to just catch that. That's so important. The vision that John sees will shape his idea of worship. And then that worship will shape John. I wrote it like this on the screen for all of us. Vision shapes our worship, and then worship shapes us. This vision shapes our worship, and then our worship of God shapes us. This is so important. So how does vision shape our worship? What do we learn about worship in these two chapters? Well, two two things jump out. One is the attention of heaven is worship. Part of the attention of heaven is that God is the center of attention in worship. He is the one who sits on the throne, and all around him, everything flows to him, everything flows from him. Robert Mulholland has become one of my uh, favorite authors in the last couple of years. He writes this, he says, the worship of God is at the heartbeat of the cosmos. The attention of heaven is worship. But not only the attention of heaven, the activity of heaven is worship. Now, when we say that, I know this freaks some people out. Because so I've heard this from so many people. They're like, well, well what am I going to do in eternity? Am I going to sing forever? <laughs> Dave, you like to sing, but I don't like to sing. For some, you're like thrilled. It's amazing. I'm going to worship and sing forever. For some of you, you're getting like a heart palpitations. Because you're like, I, like 17 minutes is enough for me. So eternity, that's going to be hard. Well, let me just... You know, clear this up. It doesn't mean that 24 7 eternity in the new creation is one big musical worship gathering. What it does mean is that our primary posture in God's space will be worship. That our primary posture of our hearts, of our lives, of the direction of our lives in heaven, in God's space, in the new creation will be worshipped. And part of it will be expressed in singing and song, but the most of it will be expressed through our lives. Now, we don't got time to go into all that because that's not what this message is about. But this is important to understand. Just so I clarify that in case that freaks anybody out so you're in the clear. However, in this moment, what John sees is a worship expression. And it's led by the four living creatures. We looked at that last week, one that looks like a lion or looks like an ox or looks like the face of a human or looks like an eagle, representing all of creation, worshiping God. They're leading the way, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They're affirming God's essence, that he is Almighty, And then the elders follow in response. They, They respond to the lead of this living creature's And then in in chapter, uh, sorry, in verse 10, right? The 24 elders fall before the one who's seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, singing, you are worthy, O Lord, our God. Okay, I want to try something. We're going to split the room in half, okay? And this half is going to be like the living creatures. And this half is going to be the elders. You guys ready? Dorothy, can you, like, you're going to help this side be like an awesome choir, okay? And who on this side, like anybody on this side? I don't know, I'm not identifying like that kind of person. <laughs> Sorry, okay, we'll just, we'll just try, okay? Oh, I, I hope I don't start too high. So you guys are gonna do, you're gonna lead the way like the living creatures, and you're gonna sing holy, 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 you guys ready? Go for it. Holy, holy, holy. Awesome. And you guys are going to sing, You Are Worthy, O Lord our God. You ready? You are worthy, O Lord. Okay, this side, you ready? Here we go. Holy, holy, holy. Okay, now the others go. You are worthy. Okay, I'll be Dorothy over here, okay? (laughs) All right, God. Here we go. Here we go. Holy, holy, holy. Okay, how do we bring this up a notch? Here we go, here we go. Sing it louder. Holy, holy. Okay, everybody stand. Let's do this. Put your hands together. This side, go. One more time. Awesome. Okay, you guys can have a seat. I love that was amazing. I, I had no idea if that was gonna work. I thought like <laughs> big flop on Mother's Day if that didn't work. Anyways, why is God worthy? Why is God worthy of this? Why is God worthy of this? Here we read that He's worthy. Two reasons. There's tons of reasons, but here's two reasons. For he created. That's what we read there in verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. God is worthy because he is the creator. And the created worship the creator because he created all things. So he's the creator. There's this new theme woven into chapter 5 as as chapter 5, the vision expands and starts to see Jesus in this vision. And this new theme is here in verse 9. They sing this new song, you are worthy to Jesus, to take the scroll, to open the seals. For you were slaughtered, and by your blood you ransomed for God's for God saints from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom of priests serving our God. Why is Jesus worthy? Because he's Redeemer. So the redeemed worship the redeemer. The created worship the creator. The redeemed worship the redeemer. We said this uh, back in our series in, in, in the fall, that worship is a response to rescue. And the redeemed worship the creator. This is part of the heartbeat of the gospel. Humanity is created in God's image and has been broken in their rebellion and sin, and, now, and then separated in a deep relationship with God. But the Creator, who created us in His image, had a plan to redeem us even though we're broken, even though we've rebelled, even though we've sinned. And heaven sings about this forever. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, Paul tells us that, that like the The manifold wisdom of God is reflected into the heavenly realm so they can look back and say, oh my gosh, this is what the gospel is doing. The created and the redeemed worship the creator and the redeemer. And this vision shapes our worship. This vision we're seeing shapes our worship. It tells us why we worship. It tells us who we worship. But it also gives us an understanding of how we worship. And I want to come back to these three actions, because like I said before, the vision shapes our worship, but the worship then shapes us. The worship shapes us. And so I want to come back to the, to, the, to the posture, to the actions of the 24 elders, and it gives us a path to how worship shapes us, to what we're learning now, not just how the vision teaches us to worship, but then as we engage that worship in activity, it begins to shape us. And here's the first thing. It shapes us to acknowledge God. That's the first thing, right? The elders fall before God. And this this helps us understand, they recognize who God is. So their falling before God means they recognize and acknowledge who He is. There's a recognition. That's the basic step in worship. We would never worship God if we didn't acknowledge Him. So their, their actions of worship, how it shapes us, is this idea in this first basic step of acknowledging who God is. But that's not, that's just basic. Because actually, people who don't love God or don't care for God could acknowledge God. The next step is adoration. And that's not just knowing who God is, it's knowing God as God. It's not just God is, God exists. It's God as God And that's this shift from acknowledgement to adoration. Acknowledging is only the first step. And why I say that is because if we look back or look ahead into Revelations, into, into the rest of the chapters, even the beast that comes out of the sea that represents the opposition to God's will acknowledges who God is. Even Satan acknowledges who God is. Even the demons in the Gospels acknowledge who Jesus is. They're not worshiping him. It's the first step to worship, but it's definitely not worship. It's just acknowledgement is the first step. The next step is adoration. They fall before him in worship. That's the vision there. And the difference is this. The difference between just acknowledgement and adoration is just a few words. Jesus is Lord. Or God is God of my life. Not Just my God, but he's God of my life. Not only do I recognize he exists, I recognize him as God of my life. That's how worship shapes us. But here's the next step, and we see it in the action of the elders. The elders, they cast their crowns before the throne. And this, worship now moves to allegiance. Not just God is, not just God is God, but God as king So there's an allegiance to God. They cast their crowns. The uh, crowns is, you know, we, we get this image, right? A sense of rule or authority or control or mastery. But now they cast that down. They cast their own control, their own rule, their own mastery. They cast it down before God because the true king is in the house. He is there and he is king. Now they're saying you have control, not me. You are the master not me. You are the ruler, not me. And this is this idea of yielding one's control to God's control, or one's life to God's control. And That's the inner dynamic of worship. Worship is not just singing. It's that the words that we're singing would reflect a position or a posture in our heart that we are yielding control to God. That's allegiance. And I love the movement of the elders. God is, God as God, and God as King. That's the path that worship takes us on. That's how worship shapes us. And this is how it shapes our sense of direction, our sense of being grounded. I talked about it before, right? Like outer observance and inner orientation. When, we, when worship begins to shape my inner orientation and my outer observance, my whole life starts to be led by God. My whole life, my decisions, my relationships, my ambitions, my goals, my money, and finances all yield to God's control. That my whole life is surrendered to Him. My whole life is kind of laid at His feet like we cast our crowns and and that everything we do would give glory to Him. That everything we do is at His disposal. That everything we have the outer observance is paying attention to everything around me, right? I'm looking around through, the, through my day, through my life, through my relationships, through my finances, through my purchases, through my decisions, and I'm paying attention. I'm wondering, is, is, is this honoring God? Is this bringing glory to God? Is this, is, 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 am I yielding my life to God's control? That's the outer observance. The inner orientation is saying, in my heart, I long for my life to give him glory. And and this is the beautiful thing about the inner orientation. Before I make a move, before I invest a dollar, before I make a decision, before I get into a relationship, my heart already longs for my life to worship him. And when my heart already longs for my life to worship him, then my decisions follow. Then my relationships follow. Then my finances follow. And that's not being fearful or worrying or overthinking. It's just an inner orientation. We know what that's like. Today's Mother's Day, and I think about this in my, my wife's life as a mom. Um, she has an inner orientation for our kids. She, my, my wife likes to get to bed early before I do. and But if the kids come home and they want to share something of their day with them, or the kids come home and they want to ask her something, I don't know how it happens. My wife is sleeping, and she just like casually, without being bothered, like, yeah, what's, what's going on? What happened today? Tell me. What do you need? Now, I know this is an inner orientation, because when I wake her up, it's a, another story. <laughs> she, does not, she does not respond to me in that way when I wake her up. She's like, Dave, seriously? i got to wake up in the morning? <laughs> I'm like, where's your inner orientation for me? Anyways, <laughs> but, but it's, it's amazing. It's like Andrew or Julia will walk in. It's like, hey, yeah, what do you, what? she wants to hear what's going on. She doesn't want to let it linger to the next day maybe it's really important that they share and that's this inner inner orientation it doesn't require decision it doesn't require anything she's just ready in that moment that's her inner orientation towards the kids that's in that moment. I see the outer observance in that because she's paying attention to the kids' lives. She's, she's sitting down and watching stuff that they might watch and other things and I see that she's paying attention. And so there's an outer observance and inner orientation. That's the kind of example that is. But now turn it towards what it means to have a life in inner orientation towards God and outer observance in our lives wondering what's he doing? What's he up to? How am I responding? I see this in many of people's life in our own church. Some who serve and, you know, it's an inner orientation. It's like, oh, the opportunity's there. I'm, yeah, I can help. There's this going on. I, I'll do that. Now, granted, everybody's schedules in, are different. I see it in, in, people's, in people's giving when I talk to some people. There's, there's an inner orientation that, that everything they have is the Lord's. You don't even have to talk to them. You don't even have to convince them. You don't even have to encourage them in any way. It's like there's a decision already inside them to give proportionately to God's work, to God's kingdom. It's not a long decision. They're not sitting there, "Uh, what does this mean? What can I do? Whatever. It's already been decided. I'm going to worship God with my finances. And it turns into fueling God's kingdom. And there's an outer observance to that too when when people's hearts are towards that because they're looking for opportunities to bless and encourage and be generous and support. So the inner orientation, the outer observance, and, and can you see where we're getting at? The vision shapes our worship and then the worship shapes us. The vision shapes our worship and the worship shapes us. And then we begin to learn to sing, yeah, sing, even if you don't sing, but more importantly, live in a way that shows God is our God and King. Where we sing and live in a way that shows that God is our God and our King. This is the pastoral prophetic emphasis of Revelation because there's a shift that takes place in our lives when we worship God and not other powers and not other principalities and not other purposes. And this is The discipleship of Revelation, this is what Revelation is leading us towards and calling us to. Robert Mulholland says these words, he said, Only God is worthy to receive what others, especially powerful political figures, may want or demand. Our total devotion, praise, and crowns. Everything's vying for our worship. We're an idol factory. We want to worship. Everything's calling for our devotion. Revelation is apocalyptic. It it unveils this tension in your heart and in my heart. The tension that John felt, the tension that the churches in, in Revelation felt that we looked at last month, the tension that Christians would face as they lived in their world under the rule of Rome. Whether it was the opposition or persecution, whether it was the luxury, they lived in that tension, that tension of who and what to worship. And as we continue in Revelation one day, we're going to see that the beast that represents the opposition to God's will, sometimes uh, political powers, cultural principalities, they, the beast commands our worship. The powers in our world are hungry for your worship. The powers and principalities in our world are hungry for our worship. They're hungry for my worship. The mall is hungry for my worship. Politics is hungry for my worship. Industry is hungry for my worship. Wealth is hungry for my worship. It's hungry for your worship too. These powers and principalities are hungry for us to give them total allegiance and us to be totally devoted to them. Revelation, the the vision, shapes our idea of worship so that worship will shape us. And here's why. Because anything we worship other than God will slowly deplete us and potentially destroy us. Some of these things that long for our worship will end up eating us up from the inside. We just don't realize it yet. We just don't see it yet. How ideologies and, and, and on, on the right and on the left has, has commanded people's worship for the last two years. And people are making jokes about it too. Like Jim Gaffigan, was, he's a comedian, and he's like, you know, what happened with our families? We can't even talk to each other anymore. We go so mad. We get all mad and we're like, well, see you at Thanksgiving. We'll fight again. (laughs) Because the stuff that has commanded our devotion is slowly eating us up inside. But Jesus keeps telling the churches through Revelation, be faithful. Be faithful till the end. You will receive life. Be faithful. If you're faithful, you will not be depleted. You will not be destroyed. But you will be rewarded and restored. Big difference. See, when we, when God also commands our worship, but God won't deplete us and destroy us. God will fill us and restore us and promises us life and life to the fullest. And here's the beautiful thing. Worship reminds them of who God is and who they are in the middle of that tension. Remember, the readers of Revelation, the first readers of Revelation, they had to really live through the tension of what it meant to be citizens of heaven and residents of Rome. We too have to discern and live in that tension of what it means to be citizens of heaven, residents of earth. And you like you know those of you who know me, you know that I like being a resident of earth. I like going to coffee shops and checking out neighborhoods and hanging out with people. And I like art and movies and things like that. I'm a resident of earth, right? Earth stuff. That's okay. We're humans. And some of the beauty and creativity in our world is not bad. And some of the ways we organize ourselves, even politically, is not all bad. But here's the tension. I am a resident of earth, but I'm a citizen of heaven. And there's going to be a tension when we're citizens of heaven and residents of earth. They don't always gel. They don't always align. And our worship will shape us for that, will shape us to recognize the tension, to discern the tension, to recognize the difference, and then to walk accordingly. I'm going to invite the team to come up as we want to close in a moment of worship in a second. But this reminds me, and you know, I don't have a Mother's Day message today, but I got two mother stories, and here's my second one. And it's my mom. And she said it to me this week. It was so crazy. I was thinking about this. The, how my mom, every time I'd leave the house, she's like, David, remember who you are. I just know that voice. And to this week, I swear, I was walking. I called my mom to see how she's doing. We talked about something. I, I'm 48. David, remember who you are. <laughs> i like, I remember, ma. I remember. But I know why she did that, and I know why she still, <laughs> why she still does it. Because our identity who we are, is so vital. We live in a world that just wants our attention. We live in a world full of distractions. She wants me to remember who I am, so I won't detour or be detoured by everything else that's trying to shape my identity. She reminded me as a kid. She reminded me as a teenager. She keeps reminding me. <laughs> and, um, and you know what? I'll admit it. I need reminding. I need to be reminded of that. The beauty of my mom is not only that she wasn't just saying like, Dave, be who you are. Be what you love. Go do everything you want. No, my mom loves the Lord and, and is a Christian. So she was also reminding me in those words because I knew where they were coming from. She wasn't just saying, remember who you are, but remember who God created you to be. Remember who you are in Christ. Remember who you are. Remember who created you in his image. Remember who redeemed you. Remember who God is shaping you to be. She's also reminding me of that. And I want us to understand that our worship shapes us towards that. Our worship, when we worship, when this vision and revelation shapes our worship, our worship begins to shape us and our worship actually reminds us who we are not just not not like the whole like YOLO and FOMO kind of mentalities in our world but it's who we are in Christ because we live in the tension of being citizens of heaven and residents of earth and so even as we close today in worship you guys can start as we begin i pray that that just a glimpse just a moment it reminds us as we step into our week who God is as creator who Jesus is as Redeemer. In fact, they're both. They share that title, they share that role. He, they are worthy. They are worthy because they've created us and they've redeemed us. And then we respond in worship. That movement from God is to God as God to God as King. And when we worship, we're reminded of that. And we're reminded of where we stand in that relationship too. That's what it means to be reminded of our identity. Where we stand in that relationship. When we say, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. When we say you're worthy to receive glory and honor and power. When we say you're worthy because you have created all things. Or because you have ransomed me. Rescued me. We're going to pray right now and and respond in worship. But if you're here today and you're just like you, recognize that the other things in your life that you've worshipped have been depleting you, maybe even slowly destroying you. Maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're longing to be free from that because you know the hold that it has on us. I just want to pray with you. I want to invite you to, to make that shift from acknowledging who God is to accepting that He is God to recognizing that He's King. That's really the trajectory of becoming a Christian, saying Jesus is Lord, Jesus is my King. And if you long for that, I want to pray with you and all of us today in how even as Christ followers, we continue at times to feel that tension in our world. Let's pray. Father, for anybody today that longs to make you king, that longs to follow you, that longs to accept the invitation to follow your son, Jesus, and to call him Lord. Oh God, I pray that in this moment, Lord, as they are are expressing their desire, as they're expressing this prayer, as they are acknowledging, Lord, the tension in their own life, that they, they long to worship the one who restores not the, not the things that destroy. The one who renews, not the things that deplete us. And God, for those who have made recognize this today, whether here or online, and are just making this movement in their heart to make you king, oh God, would you respond to them? Let them know that they are welcome into your family as they make a decision to follow Jesus, your son. And they recognize and confess all the other things that have that grab their attention. That have often been seen in their own detours and brokenness and rebellion and sin in, in their life. God, I pray for the beginning of renewal in them. And may we be able to be a community that encourages them and walks with them and helps them in next steps. In knowing you and following you. God, I I pray for everyone here. We all live in this tension. Being a citizen of heaven and a resident of earth. We all live in this tension. Lord, as we worship you, may we be reminded of who you are. You are God. You are king. You are creator. You are redeemer. And even as we begin to worship in song, as we wrap up our gathering, may in that moment Lord, may that worship shape us so we can head out into our world, into our relationships, into our jobs, in our homes and our neighborhoods, shaped by you. Lord, so our inner orientation would be a posture to glorify you with everything we have and all that we have. And our time and our resources would be fully at your disposal. give us the discernment, the outer observance around us, God, to see what you're doing, to recognize the tension in our world as well, to respond accordingly, Lord. We so long for that. We so need that today. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you, ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.